Women in Wellbeing is an Eden Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Morala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this Eden Center Women and Wellbeing podcast. We have been at war here in Israel for over 120 days now. This is a long war, and it is not yet over. People are struggling with this period of waiting, of finding patience, and with keeping faith with all the uncertainty around us. This is also a characteristic of this unusual month in the Jewish calendar, Adar Aleph, where we are waiting. We've marked the calendar so that Purim and our other holidays can fall out in their proper time. How should we approach this waiting period? After my Torah thoughts, I'll be speaking with my friend, the multi-talented Rabbanit Etta Ben-David, and hearing her thoughts on this both professionally and personally. The first half of the Book of Shemot, which we have been reading these past few weeks, relates to these feelings and struggles. The people wait for a long time to be saved and freed from Egyptian slavery. Yet leaving Egypt is only the beginning. There is a long journey ahead. When Paro finally lets the people go, surprisingly, the people of Israel waver. They take leaps of faith forward toward God, and then they fall back and express doubt and fear. What can their wavering teach us about emunah, about faith today? Given B'nai Israel's fragility, God leads them on a long route to avoid war. The Mechilta, the Midrash, explains that by taking the nearer route, they may have tried to return to Egypt. This is exactly their sentiment as they find themselves closed in between Egypt and the sea. Yet their fear abates when they see God's miracles and the sea parts for them. The Talmud in Masachet Sota adds to the story of wavering faith when it depicts the heads of the tribes arguing over who will jump into the sea first until Benjamin jumps in. Another version teaches that each tribe refused to jump in until the well-known Nachshon ben Aminadav from the tribe of Judah took the initiative. Dr. Aviva Zornberg also points out a linguistic back and forth uh, which relates to this wavering throughout the narrative. The words vayar and vayireu, to see and to fear from the same Hebrew roots. The antidote to their fear of Egypt is to see God's wonders and to see Egypt disappear. Rabbi Sachs also writes about this momentous turning point, the splitting of the sea. He writes, Literally, the waters are divided, but metaphorically, the fate of the Israelites is also divided into before and after. Before, they are still in Egyptian territory, still, that is to say, under the sway of Paro. It is no accident that Paro and his chariots pursue the Israelites to the very edge of their territory. Anywhere within Egypt, Pharaoh rules, or at least he believes he does. Once across the sea, however, the Israelites have traversed a boundary. They are now in no man's land, the desert. Again, it is no accident that here, where no king rules, they can experience with pristine clarity the sovereignty of God. Israel becomes the first, historically the only people, to be ruled directly by God. The Red Sea is what anthropologist Victor Turner called liminal space, a boundary between two domains that must be traversed if one is to enter into a new mode of being. In this case, the boundary between human and divine rule. Once crossed, there is no going back. Yet, the story of wavering and faith continues. After the splitting of the sea, 
The people fear only God and have emunah. Yet almost immediately their faith wavers repeatedly as they cry out for water and then bread and then question, is Hashem among us or not? Next, they face war with Amalek. But here the people display courage and faith. As they fight, Moshe stands on a hill and holds up his hands. When he weakens, Aaron and Hur help him and his arms remain steady. Vayehi yadav emunah. Rashi teaches that the word emunah is used here because his hands held up toward heaven inspired faithfulness in the people. What Sefer Shemot teaches us is that people's emunah naturally fluctuates during difficult periods. Simultaneously, it urges us to look around and above us and find sources of strength and inspiration. I look around at the brave Chayalim and Chayalot who have given their all to this war whether they are in combat or long periods of support for those in combat, they are my inspiration. I look at those who have lost loved ones and I am in awe of their ability to get out of bed each day and carry the legacy of those who they have lost with them. I think of the Chatufim, those who were freed and especially those who are still waiting to be freed, which has gone on way too long and must come to an end, please God. I think of the young children who have had to grow up too quickly and the families of Miluim Nikim, whose lives have been turned upside down, yet they still have a smile on their face and do acts of kindness for others. I could go on and on. I encourage you to take a moment and think about who and what inspires you and gives you strength. In my next conversation with Etta, I hope this will also be a source of emunah and strength. So stay tuned. Etta Ben-David provides pastoral care and grief counseling at her Center for Loss and Grief in Ranana. She holds Master of Arts degrees in Theology and Education. Etta is the Rabbanit of Shifte Israel, a wonderful and warm community in Ranana, and a certified Morala Halacha from Matan. She is also a singer and leads Tfilat Nashim. Together with her husband, Rabbi Eitan Ben-David, Etta is grateful for the opportunity to practice her patience with her four energetic children. Today, we're exploring the essence of Adar Rishon, uh, which is a month that embodies the need to wait and be patient, to let processes unfold, and just allow the passage of time. In the calendar, it enables Nisan to be at the right time. It aligns the seasons with our Chagim. And we just have to be in the moment of Adar Aleph until Adar Bet begins. This has parallels to the current situation we find ourselves in. Uh, I certainly feel this way about this time in Israel. And perhaps our friends around the world feel this way too, just sort of waiting, um, trying to be patient uh, after really a long time already. It's been pointed out this is actually the longest war we've ever had in this country. Uh, And so we're waiting for the war in Gaza to end and for uh, us to be victorious. We're waiting for the Hatufim to come home. We're waiting for the injured to be healed. And we're also thinking of those who have lost loved ones and and want to give time. We're waiting for time and healing to come. So on this topic, I've invited my friends, Etta. Uh, so thank you, Etta, for taking the time to talk with me about this important uh, uh, this important subject. Um, thank you, Karen. It's so wonderful to be here with you. 
Wonderful. So I'll begin by asking the following. What do you see as the message that comes out of this time period for our lives during this war? How can we internalize the message of Adar Aleph for ourselves? Okay, well, thank you. Really, again, just to say it's really a pleasure to be here on um, hosted on your wonderful show, uh, which I really do appreciate and um, really encourages people, men and women, to really come together and, and listen and to be inspired. And I know that we'll be, you've already spoken words of Torah and we'll continue to speak words of Torah. So I just want to say that in the uh, Torah that we share tonight, um, today, and in our conversations, may it be in the merit of all of those things that you just said, may it be in the merit of a um, a speedy victory, please God, and that our soldiers, our chayalim, should return to us healthy and whole Amen. And um, our chatufim, please God, return to us healthy and whole Amen. or on their way to a speedy recovery. And all of those who were um, injured should be um, restored to good health. So, Amen. Um, Amen. so in, in response to your question, I have to say, I'll start by saying that, wow, it is really hard to wait. It is. And it's, it, it, I, I mean, it's especially, I think I've noticed, especially when I was younger, it was much harder to wait. Um, and you know, there's so much going on. We want to like, we just want to see immediate results. We just want to be in a, a place of, you know, the, the finish line. We want to get where we need to get. And the waiting is so hard. There is a real positive about our impatience as a people, because I really do think that we are often impatient. We want immediate gratification. Um, I mean, think about how much we have grown as a nation since 1948 alone, right? And how developing our land is. And I think that's because we are a, a people who are stubborn and anxious and want to like just get things done. And we are impatient. We are. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, right? I remember, you know, Hashem said to us that we were going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And we were like, no, no. At 210 <laughs> years, we were screaming and like, take us out of here. We can't take it any longer. And we were, we convinced, we convinced God, like, okay, take us out. So, you know, there is something really powerful about our impatience. And I don't want to just ignore that right now. And I want to kind of give a uh, note to that and how hard it is. But I do say that, um, you know, I think that in thinking through so many, um, as I like to do, I like to, um, as we internalize important messages for, for us, I always go back to our ancestors. I always go back, you know, I'd like to go back to the Torah. I, get, I go back to my spiritual resources. And for me personally, that's, that's Torah. And I look at so many examples through Torah and Midrash and the Talmud where we have had to wait. And mm -hmm. to derive meaning from that. And as I've looked through all of those, you know, not all of them, I've looked through some that really stand out at me. I really feel like the thesis of each one of those leads me to believe that patience or waiting is a, it's a, it's necessary for emuna. Emuna is something that we need. We have to practice our ability to be patient and that is what breeds our resilience so emuna is patience and resilience i would even say you know the the whole message for going back to Brashid with avraham avinu right who was told you are going to be a 
great nation. You're going to be so mighty and you're going to be amazing and blessed, right? And and he's like, well, I don't even have one child, right? I don't mm-hmm. even have mm-hmm. one child. How am I going to know? Yes. And then God says, well, like, oh, you're mm-hmm. going to know. And how mm-hmm. are you going to know? Kiger zaracha Lolachem, right? Um, <laughs> that you're gonna be your your descendants are actually you're gonna know how are you gonna know because you're gonna dafka suffer because you're gonna be in a place of difficulty. You will know that this is our covenantal relationship. A covenantal relationship means suffering slash like you know enduring difficulties and receiving blessings throughout all of that. Okay, so that's Abraham Avinu having to wait, mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. see really like you know his uh, my, amazing my profound, you know, descendants in his life, um, but still trusting with patience that it will happen. And when are Yosef's bones actually buried? When are they buried? They're only buried at the end of Sefer Yehoshua. Hmm. I mean, just to get something clear here, we never actually enter Israel to settle the land in our Torah. And all of Devarim, essentially, are Moshe's last words standing on the edge saying, this is it, my friends. This is it. Mm -hmm. Go look over there. And the curtain closes on the fifth book of the Torah with them just getting ready to get into Eretz Yisrael. And that's it. Like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't even know what happens. It's not until say for Yoshua where like, you know, the the curtains open again and Yoshua's like, The action happens. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. The theater. Exactly. (laughs) So, Right. So again, what does that mean, though? What does that mean that all of our story of a people in our Torah is about waiting? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that it's it, it shows us that it must teach us something. It must teach us, again, this idea, this this foundational concept that waiting is part of our DNA. It must be because waiting is hard. You know, there's the waiting for Godot, speaking of theater, right? Which is this theological, you know, play, which, you know, seems so boring because it's just highlighting, oh my gosh, we're just waiting for God, you know, to do something. But in the meantime, throughout our Torah, we're doing so much. We're practicing mitzvot. We're learning about mitzvot. We're learning how to settle. We're, you know, encountering relationships with others. We're learning how to, how to live. We're learning how to take the Torah of our ancestors and enrich our own lives. We're learning what, you know, how to treat others because we ourselves were slaves in a place that wasn't that in which we were afflicted, right? We're learning so much. And sometimes we underestimate like how powerful that is for us um, as a people to incorporate into our, our waiting. Our emuna is to wait. The generation that left Egypt, just to highlight again, they don't get into the promised land. Just to again, say that clearly. It's only the next generation that gets in. So, you know, we have to just trust that sometimes our generation is not going to see redemption. But we have to learn how to try and continue to plant the seeds for the following, for our children and our children, children's children, you know, which reminds me, of course, we just had two bishvat and the famous story about Honia Maagal who's, you know, sees an elderly man about 70 years old planting a carob tree and says to that man, wait a minute, you're 70? When do you think this carob tree is actually going to blossom? Yeah. And the man replies, well, you know, I know it's going to be 70 years. And 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 Honey responds to say, do you really think you're going to be alive to see your, you know, to have this fruit, you know? And 
And this man, like wisely, calmly, I imagine, educates Honey and says, <laughs> well, just as my ancestors planted to, for me, I came into a world in which there were carob trees. Mm -hmm. Because my ancestors planted for me, so too I will plant for my children. There's so many examples. We're approaching, you know, Adar, we have Esther Hamalka, who yeah. also, by the way, you know, she keeps silent because Mordechai, I was thinking about this recently, you know, she stays silent throughout for the first uh, four or five chapters, right? She yeah. stays silent because Mordechai told her, don't speak up. Yeah. And the question is, you know, I wonder if anybody says, and I was trying to look into this, but does anybody say, don't, Mordechai said, don't speak up, dot, 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 yet. Huh. Why am I saying that? Because in chapter four, he says, you know, umildea im la eight kazot he got to la malchut. Yeah. Like maybe now's the time, sister, like now's, well, really niece, but you know, now's <laughs> the time, girl, you know, yes, yes. get up and like, it, now's the time to really like to, to, to step into your role. I, I actually missed one of the most powerful examples. I, there's actually two more that I just, I mean, it'll come up, but, um, at Harsinai, right. When, um, it's not in this Parsha, but you know, the next uh, few, when um, Israel, they're waiting for Moshe to come down. Mm -hmm. They're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And what do they end up doing? They basically, the men, according to, you mm -hmm. know, our Torah and specifically Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, what happens that mm -hmm. the men say, we can't take this anymore. We're going to build something so that we can actually have um, a representation of, of, of God here. You know, we don't, we don't know where's Moshe, this man, Moshe, he's gone. And um, it's the women who say, who say, no, we're not going to give what we have. We are going to exhibit patience and resilience in our emuna. Mm -hmm. We're going to have emuna and that and bitachon security in what is not seen in our hope that yes, salvation is coming. But even if we can't see it right now, and even if we won't see it with our own eyes, it will happen. And because of that, they're rewarded, says Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, with Rosh Chodesh, right? Because on Rosh Chodesh, you don't see the moon at all. And yet we're hoping, we're believing that the moon will, of course, start, you know, rearing its head, you know, as uh, the cycle does. It's just yes. that, uh, it's just that, it's that known belief. It is so faithful that in that not knowing, in that difficulty, in that um, struggle, in that moment that we feel so impatient to sort of pause and to reflect, I am not alone. There is going to be salvation. We women, right? We sort of, we, there's this like somehow uh, this knowing idea of that. There in the Mitzrayim and, and, and at Harsinai, that we will see it. Our children will see it. Eventually it will come. We will yes. see it. And yes. that's why, you know, the, the 12th principle of, uh, you know, um, the 12th principle of faith of Rambam is, you know, um, you know, yes. Right. And even yeah. though he is waiting, like we, yeah. we, 
he's 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 slow and coming yes exactly slow and coming so okay so i i could sit here and talk torah with you all day and i know that what's actually so special about what you do is this incredible um interweaving of torah and um and I want to say therapy, but more than therapy, sort of counseling and helping people. Um, and there's the whole other singing element. We'll have to save that for another podcast. Um, but so I want to I want to shift gears slightly and get a little more practical for for our listeners um, sure. and think yeah. about what. So what advice do you have um, for for that for really practical advice? You know, uh, I'm fine. Let's say I'm finding it hard to to keep waiting. I've kept it together. It's been more than three months, right? That I've kept yeah. it together. Friends whose sons are in and out of Gaza. And even if, even if our, you know, the Miluim guys have come home, they've come home and many of them have been told you're going, you're turning back around and going and going back in two months. Yep. How, what do you advise them? What is a, a way to help that? It's really, really difficult. And I've actually been um, in our community specifically talking about Miluim families um, have been helping to really coordinate support, meals, um, other types of, you know, babysitting, just help, overarching help for about 100 um, families, 100 wives, we call, you know, Milu Imas, right? Right. Um, And uh, and uh, we've had, I've done also some support groups with them and I can, we've shared, I've I've heard through tears how difficult and how much the struggle is. It's a very, very, very challenging place to be in without knowing when your husband is coming home, you don't even know where he is, right? You know, he's in Aza, you're not sure where, um, and um, you're frightened, really frightened. I mean, I've, I've heard definitely of, because I've been helping about 100 wives um, in our community here in Ranana, and thank God there's been an amazing group of people also, uh, amazing families who want to help support them, giving them meals and whatnot. And I've heard it's, it's really, really scary. It's really hard to be in fear um, of not knowing and that struggle. And really, it's, this is an opportunity to, um, as painful as it is, to try and reflect on your spiritual resources. What, is giving, what gives you strength in times of not knowing? What gives you strength in times of despair? And these are things that sometimes may be just a given that you have. You may have um, a certain ability of something that you are able to access or try and carve out time for, whether it's something that like, you know, creative within you, whether it's, uh, you know, you, you sing, right. And you're singing maybe with your kids, you're trying to sing, uh, to the radio, or maybe it's, um, you're, you dance, or maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're sewing something or you're creating something, or it's the resources that we have. You're reading certain books. You're looking to the things outside of ourselves that can give us strength. The resources are the people around us. It's community. Mm-hmm. It's types of events that we can either, even if we're not going to, we try and, you know, um, put on our um, late at night so we can listen to audiobooks or whatever it is. Uh, um, I, there's people offering, thank God, lots of different types of uh, support for Niluim families, for Chayalim, um, if they're able to, um, to get to it. Um, and really focusing on the, what is the hardest, noticing what's hardest about this time and trying to really see, well, what works to try Mm -hmm. and nourish those moments that are hardest. And again, it it would be case by case. 
Um, but one thing that I would I would really just say is um, if you are aware of some of your own spiritual resources, like, you know, an example is um, a book that you really love or a prayer that you really love or a text, a poem, something like that to 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 print that out, to have it accessible, to look to it as often as possible in order to create ritual. Um, you may already have a ritual that now has been even um, uh, solidified even more. Um, you know, recognizing the relationships that you have. What I have have people do is to make a friendship sort of uh, circle and say, okay, who's in my circle right now? So I'm in the center, right? You can put yourself, okay, who, and who are my friends around me? Like the inner circle that I can call upon when I'm really struggling a little bit wider, a little bit wider, a little bit wider. And it may be, you know, a cousin who lives across the world, but I know that I can call her in the middle of the night you know, when things are really, really hard and I don't know what's going, you actually put that down so that you have it in paper and you can see, okay, I'm waiting, but I'm not alone. I am <laughs> waiting, but I am not alone. And I really think that this is not disconnected from what we were just talking about in terms of our theological principles of um, bitachon and emunah, which are not the exact same thing, but I would I would say that you know emunah takes emun, it takes what's what's imun, it's uh um like cheder kosher, you know, it's like a it's exercise, training, training, it's, it's yeah. training, it's training. Um, it takes a lot of training, and bitachon is that sense that you are not alone. You know, I I really think that if we can access that bitachon again and again, I don't believe that it means that everything will just be okay and I really don't think it means like that because things are not okay right. things are not okay things are not normal things are incredibly challenging they are not okay and yes. as the book says it's okay not to be okay right it is okay to be broken and it is okay to be waiting impatiently and hurting and it is horrible mm -hmm. but bitachon doesn't mean that suddenly it's gonna be better bitachon means that God is with me Mm -hmm. means that I am not alone in this waiting. I am not alone through this uncertainty. I am not alone through this struggle. And so to be able to access those resources and whatever it takes so that you don't feel alone, whether it's through the divine, okay, which I, I feel like many people who are listening to this um, may relate to mm -hmm. or are, are possibly um, disillusions at this point. Well, where is God? You know, where is God? I get that a lot now. Where is God now since October 7th happened? But yes. yet when talking about the Holocaust, you know, people are like, well, I guess God was there, but now definitely not. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, like what, you know, if yes. God wasn't there on October 7th, how could God be, right? It's like, okay, so what is, right. you know, and I don't mean to like belittle that. I just mean, right. yeah, if you don't know where God is, do you want to have a relationship? And if so, channel it. Like express yeah. your anger, express your frustration, let it out, channel it, use words, whether they're yours or they are certain to be lot. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling upset, if you're angry, know, know, K-N-O-W, that you're not alone. Find other people in our ancestors who were also so, uh, so upset with God. I mean, who were so angry, who were mm -hmm. so frustrated, who felt betrayed. You don't have to look so far. Yes. I mean, in Tehillim, Yud Gimel, right? How long, God, have you forgotten me? How long will you turn your face from me? There's 
really, there are resources or even, you know, modern day secular music, whatever it is, yes. finding the people and finding the resources and finding the texts to, um, to meet you where you are in yes. this time to bring you strength, to bring you the resources and resilience to then feel a sense that I'm not just waiting for God forbid any knock on the door, chas vishalom. And I'm not waiting for, you know, this fantasy reunion because let's face it, um, it's it's uh, it's really hard also, you know, when people yes. return from, you know, from their 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 service. It's really hard and we have yeah. fantasies, but then it's it's reality and to be able to be honest with that and open to that and know that you're not alone through that. Um, so I really hope that that's helpful. That's beautiful. Uh, I really love that. I love that. I especially love what you said about making the circle with the friends. I find that's that really speaks to me. And I, I'm sure different aspects of what you said speak to different people. And it's it's really beautiful. Um, so I want to shift gears again. Um, I um, Etta, you shared with me something very personal, and um, and I'm thinking again to go back to our subject of the waiting and patience and and trying to keep patience. Um, you shared with me your personal experience of uh, regarding your well being and a diagnosis you received, um, and um, and the challenges of being patient and waiting in your life, and so. I, since you, since you are so open and such a, it really, I think it helps everyone. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that with us in the hope that it'll also help other people um, with what other their challenges are right now. Amen. I mean, I hope so. Um, it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share um, about a year ago. So in about December, 2022, I uh, noticed that my hair was falling out a lot. And I'm not talking about the falling out that, you know, you get after having a baby. My son was already a year and a half. Um, so it couldn't have been from that. And it was literally coming out in clumps. I'm sorry to be graphic, but I, I was diagnosed in December with what's called alopecia areata um, universalis, which uh, is a fancy way for saying that you... I lost all my hair, all my hair on my head and my face. So that includes my eyelashes and my eyebrows. And um, that was, uh, it was scary. Um, and I happen to be, uh, we didn't even talk so much about this, but in the work that I do, I really specialize in grieving, in, um, in the grief work that I do and loss. Loss and Grief, I actually have a center called the Center for Loss and Grief um, here in Ranana. Um, and I was able, I mean, I, I, I was so aware of how I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta use my resources. So I really took the time to mourn as this was happening. Okay, I'm losing all my hair. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because after all, you know, tasks of grief, often imply not just stages of grief, which is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, who says, um, okay, these will happen to you, you know, and it's a little bit linear. Rather, I really like um, somebody named William Warden created the tasks of grieving, which is really, you know, leaning into ex accepting the reality of the loss. I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I'm going bald. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. I'm losing my eyelashes. 
oh my gosh, my eyebrows are no longer there. Wow. Oh my goodness. Suddenly I'm like, okay, this is crazy. And yet remarkable. Like, I know I'm talking about it in this um, maybe chipper way, but I, I have to say that I, I've worked so many years with people who have, have gone through chemo um, and have lost their hair and their eyelashes and their eyebrows. And I've sat with them, many people, um, and unfortunately, some close friends who've unfortunately passed away from, mm -hmm. um, from cancer. And um, so I, 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 I can appreciate that, that as this was happening to me, I would look in the mirror and I would say, wow, oh my gosh. And I would remember them and I would reflect on them. And I would think about those people who thank wow. God, those have healed, those who have not, unfortunately. And um, just be in this state of um, uh, holding this reality of being totally different. Like I, I, I didn't recognize myself at all. And that was both um, frightening and also sort of exhilarating. Like, wow, this new face. <laughs> but I, I appreciated how bizarre this was. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say that I am grateful to be, thank God, in a place in my life where I am married with four amazing children, Baruch Hashem. And as I started to go into these support groups for alopecia areata, I encountered so many people, including young women, who were experiencing this, women, girls um, coming to Israel, those who went back, a lot of Jewish young women um, who were you know, losing their hair in time of seminary, for example, and then they were donning a shaitel and people were curious and asked so many questions or you know, weren't so nice and they had to figure out how to navigate that. And um, that wasn't my issue so much. I was navigating a lot. The eyebrow thing was very difficult, right? Because eyebrows apparently eyebrows and eyelashes are very um important they are so small and yet they really define your face and so wow. I will say that thank god there's a person on Barilan who did my eyebrows and I will definitely <laughs> give you her name if anybody's <laughs> listening uh, thank you Ava um I'll just plug her she was amazing 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 um but I I really um I I went through um my own grieving process of I, I wasn't sure if my hair was ever going to come back because in alopecia areata, when you lose all your hair, that's really it. That's mm. really it. It was literally until this past year when a drug came on the market um, that wow. is a biological treatment you can take every day mm. and it can lead to um, hair regrowth. And literally within like, oh, it was only in four months ago or something that some of the Kupot Cholim have issued it. Otherwise, it's so much money. Wow. Um, and I wasn't even sure if it was something that would even work or that I could even, you know, at that point, I was like, well, I'm not going to pay all that money, you know, per month for something like this. Seems ridiculous for something which, OK, could be superficial, but also really shapes my identity. Like our hair really shapes our identity. It's true. Mm. It's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I... I took several kids to Poland. I mean, have deal, but I took you know to Poland um, in March, and I remember it was it was hitting me because at that point I was wearing you know fur hats that covered my eyebrows like this, you know, and um, and just like a wig because you know I didn't really have and you know and and they were talking about this is the room that shave all their head and da 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 da, and I was like, oh right. my gosh, you really totally become like anyone. Like I know I I, I didn't. I didn't have any recognizable features mm. um, when I was just uh, bare, you know, looking in the in the mirror. Um, and it was uh, 
it was, as I said, I was curious, I was sad, but I was processing it. I was thanking my hair for all the years that I had it and grateful for um, its beauty. I was like grateful to that. Um, I was experiencing the loss and the fear of what would this one mean if God forbid one of my kids pulled off my wig, you know, in public <laughs> because they would sometimes play in uh, in the house, um, which was um, not so uh, not so not so fun. But also, I found the humor in a lot of this. I really did. Um, throughout this whole year, I really feel like I have become even more. Um, I think I've become funnier. Um, I say that like <laughs> weird. I think I've become funnier. Like it's like I, I just like I appreciate humor in a different way now because um, this is ridiculous. Like the most ridiculous thing like happened, and it could have been so much worse. I mean, this was thank God. I mean, if this is if this is because of stress, like, and this is what I got, like, okay, please God, let this be it. Like, okay, no more, you know, and and please God, it should just um, be better. But as this was an exercise in waiting, because as soon as I started taking, first of all, I was waiting to get um, access, waiting, waiting to get approved for this medicine, medication. I know if anybody's listening who has like, um, what's it called? Um, arthritis, um, right? And they're full of aches and pains. You yeah. may also be on one of these like JAK inhibitors or things like that, you know, um, for, you know, a daily treatment because there's no cure. There's no cure for alopecia areata, just like there's no cure, unfortunately, for diabetes, but okay. you have to, or, or arthritis. It's just like, you know, monthly, daily, whatever it is, the shots that you need, it just happens to be, you know, these are the ugly diseases, you know, that, yes. that we, that we all, many of us, unfortunately we have, and please God, may it not get worse, but yeah. we endure and um, we, we find the um, meaning in it. I really think so. I mean, we have to, because otherwise, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it can, I guess it can be really, um, you can feel lonely, but I've really, oh, I just soaked up my my resources, my spiritual resources that I knew I needed. Cause that's how, you know, if I talked about accepting the reality of the loss, processing the loss, processing the loss of my hair, which was just a lot of my processing. I would speak to a, a colleague um, who's a therapist and a supervisor for me. I really, rec really <laughs> love. Um, we even did some healing work and imagery work, which I really appreciated. Um, and adapting to a new reality is the third. Adapting to a new reality. Usually if it's a, somebody who unfortunately passed away, you're adapting to a reality of without the deceased or without my hair. I'm adapting. Okay, I'm looking for this shaitel. I'm looking for that. You know, I once, I one, I, I even had a shaitel that um, was shedding. Can you believe that? My first shaitel <laughs> that I got, I was shedding. I was like, is this a joke? This is, no, this is that not is funny. funny. I That's good like, humor. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> anyway, I will not recommend her. But cruel, um, cruel humor. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then, you know, and the last is, the last stage is um, establishing an enduring connection with what has been lost or with whom has been lost, the deceased, while embarking on your newfound identity, while embarking on, you know, your new reality. So you're taking that with you. You're taking everything that you've learned with you. You're taking the legacy that of that person with you. You're taking the bones of Yosef with us, right? Mm. We're taking our experience with us. And it's not about just getting through. It's not about, okay, the past year, I, I had no hair, you know, back in December. And now, Baruch Hashem, I haven't even said, but I have been getting 
hair. Thank God mm-hmm. my hair is coming back. You know, wow. and I'm, I, wow. you know, I don't, I'm probably not happy. I'm probably don't have to go back to Ava to get more, <laughs> you know, um, microblading, um, which by the way, I did, by the way, halachic um, research, uh, you know, interesting response about mm-hmm. um, makeup on Shabbat and microblading. So, so just people, I will direct people podcast. to you. <laughs> yes, another podcast. But, um, <clears throat> but it was, it's not about just getting through like, okay, I was in point A and now I'm in point B because I'm realizing, oh my gosh, a year has passed. And so many, mar- like, I remember it was Tu Bishvat last year when I wrote to my family and very close friends and I told them, oh my gosh, this is what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. And yet there's something about Tu Bishvat that um, there's sap, there's new life that's lying dormant within that even though I'm totally bare, like on the, uh, the, the, the tree that whose leaves have fallen out, um, okay. fallen off. Um, and my, by the way, alopecia areata is when you're, you're, um, your system, why is it a disease? It's because your immune system attacks your hair follicles because they think that your hair follicles are, are, are out to get to you, are out to get you. So they end mm-hmm. up attacking the wrong, you know, thing and um, they get a little bit confused. Hmm. So um, yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, I was, I, 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 I remember writing to them in Tupishvat and feeling really um, allowing myself to feel that sense of new life within, even though I wasn't even close to even being um, accepted for any type of, you know, drug or anything like that. But I just felt like this is a new reality. Like I'm, and and appreciating the messages that Esther had for us, that um, it's not time yet. It's not like there is a wait period. There is a waiting period and there's a time to let our voices reverberate and Mm. to let our, um, you know, our, our, or whatever it is, true identities like shine and there's a time for redemption and um, please God, it, it, it should happen soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to try and give over values um, that I think are important to my children. I'm going to, whether it's like, okay, don't judge people on the outside. It's what's inside that counts. <laughs> I mean, that's like really um, very basic with alopecia areata, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um it's about um, connecting to the things that give us most meaning and um, really sharing that and being mentions. And um, it's, it's about what we're doing in the time of waiting that um, really demonstrates the kind of, of, of um, the type of um, values and um, the, the type of people that we are and can be um, it's in that type of waiting in which we can really establish emuna. Um and resilience. I, I really believe that, you know, Adar is also, you know, this is a beautiful idea, Adar, um, Ani, Dalet Hashem, Reish Rofecha, I am God, your healer. And even though in Hebrew, you know, Rofecha can mean also both the healer, but also the curer, one who cures, mm-hmm. you know, there's a difference, like there's no cure to something that I'm going through. But there's healing. And yeah. even if we can never find a cure for somebody, if somebody is going through a terminal illness, you know, which this is this is also what I specialize in, like people are going through terminal illness and and there's no cure. There is no cure. We can still have healing. Mm. We can still reconcile with those we love. We can still find a sense of um, connection with the with the divine, yes. with God. And and I think that that's what Torah is teaching us, that that's bitachon in the time of difficulty, in the time of waiting, 
in the time of pain and loss and suffering, in the time when we're afraid and we're allowed to be afraid. We are, of course you can be afraid, even though it says, you know, and lo ira ra, like that means that, yes, this is really, these are real emotions. Yes. The heart can hold all of these things at once. In this time, we have, um, we have Hashem with us. We are not alone. We have others with us. We are going through this together. We are, um, we're surrounded and protected. And that's my hope. My hope is to just keep, keep holding that. Um, and, yes. and to, to be there for others as well. Wow. It's a, I, first of all, I'm so, I just want to express gratitude. Um, this is a very personal thing for you to be sharing. And um, on the podcast, people, I'm seeing you in our interview and people won't be seeing you. And I just want to share with everyone that you are beautiful inside and out and, um, and microblading or not. And, <laughs> and, um, and really it just shines through and it's just um, incredibly inspiring how you've able how you've been able to take this really um, not simple experience that was thrown at you after you know there's been a lot of challenges you know for for all of us over the last few years but this in particular with all of your skill set I imagine only makes you all the more um, able to um, to empathize with things people are going through and um, and help them. And so I know you've helped people in our community and you're, you're a real gift to us in Ranana. Um, we, we have, we only have about a minute or two left. So I'm going to, um, to ask you really like as um, quite briefly um, to answer one last question, which is uh, what are the ways we can use Adar Aleph um, as this sort of waiting period positively? So whether that's, you know, here, this is the Edmund Center podcast, or perhaps in our relationships, um, in our families, um, personally, um, currently in Israel, whatever you want to talk about, but how can we, um, to, to, to leave us with a proactive note? Absolutely. Absolutely. I really, first of all, thank you. Thank you again, Karen. It's such a pleasure to just talk to you. I feel like I can just stay on this for so long. <laughs> how often do we actually have this time? <laughs> we can keep going after the podcast ends. <laughs> it's really special. So I, I, I think practically I will say that, um, um, I really want to encourage people, especially in this month, but in any time of difficulty to allow yourself not to just feel like you're waiting, like looking at the clock or, you know, waiting for the days to pass, but take the time to pause and recognize at least four things. What are you grateful for right now in this moment? What are you grateful for that you have? By the way, if we're grateful for something, even in times of difficulty, Leia Imenu, by the way, Leia Imenu, she was miserable because she was unloved. She was unloved. And she says after her first child, you know, Reuven, God saw my suffering. Shimon, God heard I was hated. Levi, maybe now my husband will escort me, will be with me. And then finally, even though she's unloved, she says, oh, apamo de Hashem. I'm going to find gratitude. That's why we're Yehudim, because even through difficulty, we find a way to say, thank mm. you. Yeah. Thank you. Who am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? Take a moment and recognize, despite the difficulty and the suffering, what am I grateful for right now? Also, what are my hopes? What am I praying for? What am I praying for? Don't just go ahead and, and bless somebody else. Oh, I'm blessing you, blessing that, blah, blah, blah. Ask other people what do you, what is, what do you, what are you praying for? What can I bless you with? What can I bless you with? 
you know, ask your loved ones, what are you praying for? If that's too much of an intrusive question, say, I'd really love to give you a bracha before you go back to the army. What can I bless you with? Like, don't assume, never assume, ask if you're, you know, and recognize mm -hmm. what you're hoping for, what you're praying for. Um, acknowledge your fears, be honest about it, talk about it, call those friends around you and, um, you know, let it be a source also in your tefillah. And then, of course, acknowledging also, um, acknowledging the difficulties, the loss, the loss of the time that you have to to share with um, those who are not here, carry them with us. Um, um, try and if you're if you're somebody who's listening, whose husband is serving or whose son is serving or daughter, like make sure that you note all of these milestones that are happening you know, with your kids or that you want to share with your husband that's happening with your baby, like take a note of it, let it be so that you know you will share. Eventually, you're going to share the same way that Moshe, you know, Rabbeinu is teaching B'nai Israel. This is what you're going to need when you actually enter Israel. Like, let this be a part of the waiting of experiencing and then sharing. And, um, um, <clears throat> you know, lastly, I just... So gratitude, hopes, fears, loss, and um, remember that we are, we are, it's in our nature. We are Ivrim, right? We go from one place to the other. That's what we do. We travel. Sometimes we get to where we need to go, and sometimes it takes a really long time. It takes a really long time. We are Ivrim. That's also in our nature, and we also are Israel. That in times of difficulty, we're going to grab on to um, the difficulty, we're going to hold on to it like Yaakov held on to this ish, whatever it was, angel, mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to demand a blessing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to demand to turn this into some sort of a bracha. And so let Adar Aleph, let us try and experience this to, um, to turn these curses into some sort of a bracha. Um, and... Uh, with our gratitude, our hopes, the loss, the fear, all together, and know that you're you're really not alone. We're here with you, and and be really be with one another. So, Amen. Wow, that is really beautiful, and I feel really has um, helped me think about how I want to go into Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph. And so, wishing everyone a Chodesh Tov, a Chodesh filled with. Um, with all of these uh, thoughts and and intentions that Etta spoke about. And uh, it should be a Chodesh Tov. Amen. Thank you again for having me. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedincenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating Share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe.